previously on Formula One. This week, officially, the League of Super Evil met, and they have signed off on the Liberty Takeover deal. The FIA has signed off on the Liberty Takeover deal. The stockholders have signed off on the Liberty Takeholder deal. Um, it's pretty much done at this point. Okay, so how how long do we have to do the countdown for Bernie Eccleston to be out? Well, that's one of the rumors that has been flying around is that we may have an answer on that within the next week. No. Yes. I was being flip. I figured as much, but there has been talk, uh, including Bernie saying after he came out and said during the season that he was asked to stay on for three years, now coming out and saying that, well, you know, his future rests with the folks over at Liberty and we'll have to see what they want. And now rumors of possibly something in the next week to two weeks um, regarding his future one way or the other. He'll always be part of the F- Formula One family. You know, our, our view is, and in many ways, one of the opportunities you know, Liberty saw coming in is it is a sport that has not, you know, particularly in the last five or six years, really taken advantage of the opportunities to make the sport everything it can be, either for its fans or as a business. He held it back, so, right, you think? I don't know he held it back. I just think the way Bernie ran it, I think, worked for a long time. I don't think the way, it's, you know, the way he ran it historically as a one-man yeah. operation, you know, it didn't have a marketing organization, didn't have you know, a digital you know, organization, didn't really have an engagement in the events we're putting on. And I think we need it. Some degree it needs a fresh start. I don't know whether the decision making, you know, is not what it should be because there's too much history, you know, amongst the players. I think one of the benefits we bring to it is a fresh start. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have an agenda other than to make the sport great for its fans. I would expect this is difficult for Bernie. I mean, he's run this sport for his entire adult life, and I respect completely um, that. This is a difficult change. I've been sincere in saying I value his advice and help as we go forward. But I understand this is a big change for him. I mean, he's run the sport. He's run the sport, you know, as a one-man. He calls himself a dictator. He's, you know, he's run it as a one-man dictator for, uh, for a long time. Well, there you have it. Uh, from offhand comment last week to the official word from Chase Carey, Bernie Eccleston is out at the top of Formula One. And with that, welcome everyone to this week's Bloke in the Bird show. Exactly. I, I kind of wanted to just start with, whoa. <laughs> so I have two comments. The first, the dictator has fallen. We have seen his statue fall over in the square. It is done. An era is ended. But my other statement is, did you hear in Chase Carey's comment that and I quote, Bernie has done, been at the top of Formula One for all of his adult life. Bernie is 80-something years old and has been at the top of Formula One for 40 years. That means my adult life hasn't started yet. Well, <laughs> okay, it, it's a minor misnomer, misnomer there. However, he has been involved in the sport his entire adult, adult life. He started off, if you remember, originally as a driver. Yes. And then ultimately ended up buying a team. I mean, it was only 40 years ago that he that he managed to get control over the entire sport. But he, I think, bought the team, his first team, in the late 60s, early 70s. So he first involved, drove in the 50s. Well, he's old enough to do that. Um, involved in Formula One his entire adult life. Got that. Involved at the top of Formula One for his entire adult life means that my adult life hasn't started yet. I'm just saying that I I can look forward to adulthood according to Chase Carey. Okay. I think that is the biggest takeaway that I take as I approach middle age. uh, What I'm taking away from Matt's comment. Okay. So when are you buying IndyCar then? The problem is I think I can afford the team that was looking at Maldonado because I got some pocket lint and a few dimes. Yeah. But we'd have to only participate in like maybe one race. And I think at that I'd be headed down to the local uh, gas station to try to buy a little gas to get the car going. (laughs) I mean, we'd be pushing it. Um, And I can't afford a driver and I won't sign Maldonado. So I'm pretty much out of Indy. 
Okay, well then I don't know if your life is going to follow a similar trajectory to Bernie Eccleston's. Then. Well, it, it doesn't have to be in Formula One. It doesn't have to be in a a motorsport per se. But I'm just saying that if my life follows a trajectory of Bernie, then my best years are ahead of me, not behind me. And I'm holding on to that with every inch of power I can hold on to it. And don't you burst my bubble. Okay, so let's actually talk about what happened now instead of your grand illusions of nothingness. Um, so, yeah, we had our, 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 our flip little comment that, you know, Bernie might actually be going away and had mentioned that there were rumors that something may be up in the coming week. Um, Monday morning rolls around, and again, the rumors start to get a little stronger that Liberty is getting ready to announce something on Tuesday, followed by Monday afternoon or Monday evening Europe in Europe, Bernie coming out himself and stating that he's out. And based on Bernie's comments, this wasn't a happy separation. What he said was, he, and, and he, he revealed this to Germany's Automotor Auto, Auto Unsport. I have to get the name right. Um, he said, I was deposed today. I am simply gone. It's official. I am no longer the leader of the company. My position has been taken by Chase Carey. My new position is one of those American terms. It's something like an honorary president. I have this title now, even though I don't know what it means. Now, when he was asked about his future, he said, my days in the office will be getting quieter now. Maybe I will attend a Grand Prix sometime in the future, which I encourage because he might actually learn something. <laughs> possibly by attending the Grand Prix and not hiding out in his in either the paddock club or his RV but actually taking in a Grand Prix in the grandstands he might he might learn something to experience a Grand Prix as a fan would be novel for him yeah I doubt that he went on to say I still have many friends in Formula One and I still have enough money to attend a race well, isn't that nice that he's not poor like, you know, those other upper echelon people that like to attend races but can't afford lawn seats? Yeah. So that that goes to my next little point. I mean, yes, we're not fans of Bernie Eccleston, and I wrote an article about it. We're not fans about uh, of Bernie Eccleston. But when you talk about Bernie and Bernie's tenure overseeing the sport— Mm -hmm. you do a grave disservice if you don't also acknowledge the effort and the things that he has done to really build the sport into what it is today, into the, the marketing and publicity powerhouse that it is today, and the way he had he truly did have an impact both on how the sport is covered, how it's televised and broadcast, and in probably very large respect how autosport in general, not just Formula One, but all autosport, is covered and televised now. Because it was through Bernie's efforts that we have these season-long coverage deals. P prior to that, it was hit or miss as to when you could actually see a race, if you could see, if you could see an entire race, or you just got maybe highlights package once a week kind of a thing of just the weekend action and, you know, a quick summary of what's gone on, and that's it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now we've got these season-long deals that, that Formula One has, that IndyCar has in the U.S., that um, NASCAR has in the U.S., and I'm sure DTM and BTC and all these other European series have in their home countries as well. And truly, that's all a result of bernie negotiating these deals for formula one and everybody else saying i want to do that well you cannot as much as i don't care for him as the modern day leader of f1 i think that there's something about he never made the transition he did revolutionary things for the sport in the 70s and, and into the 80s and into the 80s when he stepped up to to be the commercial rights holder and to do those things, it was revolutionary, cutting edge. It was unheard of at the time. 
But those tricks and those that deal no longer serves the modern audience. And that's where I lay a lot of fault with Bernie. I have much respect for what he did 40 years ago. But that's 40 years ago. My my disrespect comes from not being able to conform with the times, to move forward. He keeps trying to use the same it's like the, one it's trick the same pony. model. It's the same model. He's trying to use the same model repeatedly for 40 something years. I made the comment to you last night as we were doing our over dinner show prep. Hardly ever happens. <laughs> um, that I felt that it was an age thing for Bernie, that people are willing to take more risk when they're younger because, and that's what I saw the 70s and 80s deals being, is that was risky to step up and say, it's this way or no way. He put a lot on the line. And in that regard, I saw a great risk that he was willing to take in his 40s. But now that he's in his 80s, there is almost no risk allowed. He is very risk averse when he takes on uh, technologies that he doesn't fully understand. Your take on it was a little bit different because you went after the fact that he doesn't understand the technologies, therefore he dismissed them. That's some of it. Um, the other is I think he's also – he's protecting the deals that he understands. Mm -hmm. He understands the broadcast deals. He understands what that brings to him and the the income that comes that comes in with that. But by looking at other distribution channels and looking at other ways of promoting, and, and it's even questionable as to the promoting piece, even Chase Carey says that there, there's no real department, there's no real structure to market the sport at all. Mm -hmm. And he's never done that. But in order to protect the revenue that he's getting from those TV contracts, I think he's af he was afraid or, or unwilling to look at other options that might have an impact on that and didn't want to look at options to allow the sport to pursue those ch those distribution channels while still trying to find ways to keep the broadcasters happy that he's collecting dump trucks full of money from uh, i think honestly i think this is a case that he got mesmerized by the dump trucks full of money and protecting those became more important than protecting the sport he says he loves. I don't know if it's mesmerizing. Ross Braun something did up last year. He said that Bernie doesn't like other people making money out of Formula One. <laughs> now, there's even more to that is that Bernie likes being the one who makes the most money out of Formula One. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't want to give that opportunity up either. Well, it's gone now. Yeah. Well, I'm anxious to see what Chase Carey does with the sport. I'm anxious to see, truly, I realize that, yes, he's been, quote, deposed. But I'd lay good money that we haven't heard the last of Bernie Eccleston. Probably not. There was a rumor that came out this week that, um, and in all honesty, in, in many respects, I think this is in line with what we know of Bernie. And what we have heard, there's a lot of allegations that were flying in the last few weeks that it was Bernie's own efforts with Formula One that relegated IndyCar to the series that it is today. Um, that it, They were the ones who spun up the Champ Car Series and as a competing series against what was actually in place at the time as a way to diminish them overall because Bernie was upset that Nigel Mansell left F1 and went to, to – what was IndyCar at the time, and decided that he was going to diminish their standings as a result. Interesting. So there's allegations about that. Um, but there was a rumor that came out this week that Bernie was actually seeking to set up a breakaway for champ racing championship. Now, Bernie denies this. Uh, he made a statement to Reuters that said he wished to clear up the rumors that he is starting a series to compete against the FIA Formula One World Championship. He says, I have built the championship over the last 50 years, which is something I am proud of, and the last thing I want is to see it damaged. Interesting. So he claims that, that he will not be doing anything like that, but... 
it wouldn't surprise me. However, given the fact that he's 85 years old, I don't know if he's going to have, even if, if he was going to try to, I don't know if he really has the ability to pull it off like he did 30 years ago when he led the, the break that happened, that established Formula One to what it is now. Um, he did some mystical work with the Formula One Constructors Association and, and uh, to, to break the sport into what it is today. Well, I don't know. I think that we are living in truly interesting Formula One times. And this is a time where paying attention to both the sport and the sporting will be very interesting. So, what has replaced Bernie is not one, but three people. You know, this is that case where that really good person in the office that everybody relied on but didn't really appreciate left, and they have to replace that person with three or four other full-timers. Right? I'm no, sure that's what's going to stroke Bernie's Not, not really. Uh, Bernie's probably thinking that. Um, and unfortunately, the one—oh, there it is. I found it. I found his name. He's replaced by um, Chase Carey, overseeing as CEO of what is replacing Formula One. I'm going to keep calling it Formula One Management until I see once again what the name is for the new organization. Mm -hmm. But he's taking over that role. Former ESPN sales executive Sean Bratches will be running the sporting and commercial side of Formula One. That's the missing piece. That's okay. what I think they truly need is someone to actually do that because Bernie had all of it. And then the third person is Ross Braun. Yes. What's now, Ross going to be doing? Well, that's what I don't completely understand. He's supposed to be in charge of the sporting and technical aspect of the sport. However, that's not FOM's role. FOM's role is not to set sporting and technical regulations. That's the FIA's role. They fully control that aspect of the sport, which is why when we had the run-up to the current generations of engines and went from the V8s to the, the turbo hybrids, we constantly heard Bernie complaining about how much he didn't like it, and they went through anyway. Hmm. So I'm not completely sure I understand what Ross's role is going to be. Well, we know that FOM historically had a proposal seat on such regulations because that's the way Bernie operated. He wanted to be able to propose changes that would make the show better. And and he did have a seat on the World Motorsport Council, and it's not clear, even to Bernie right now, as to whether or not he's going to be allowed to keep that seat. Oh, interesting. Um, that's actually up to the FIA as to whether or not that happens. And I think Sean Todd actually is the one who gets to make that final call as to whether or not Bernie keeps that seat. Are we going to be writing Sean Todd to give an opinion? <laughs> I mean, in this day of literally a week full of call your congressman, call your senator, call this, do that, write this person. Can, does John Todd get added to my list of people I have to write? Well, given the fact that the FIA has ignored my other email requests for information from them, I don't know. I'm not sure we're going to get anywhere. I don't think they fall under the Freedom of Information Act, unfortunately. No. Um, so, speaking of Ross Braun, mm -hmm. and I know that because I know you, you listened to it because you told me to listen to it, and we're now up to speed, but on the Five Live interview where they had the Chase Carey interview they also called up toto wolf and ross braun yes and put them on the phone together now my understanding and correct me if i'm wrong because i do get mixed up sometimes ross braun left mercedes because of some interesting feelings towards toto wolf right something along those lines yes that it was not a great personality fit so did you get the sense listening to five live that that was a little bit of a love fest <laughs> no, not at all. I thought it was a little bit of a love fest of Toto kind of sucking up to old Ross Braun there a little bit. I mean, I'm sure to some extent Toto was and Toto kind of has to at this point. 
um, because of some of the things that Ross is saying and Toto's desire, which is his job, to maintain the team's position at the top of the sport. Yes. But there was there were lines such as Toto saying, Ross Braun is phenomenal at <laughs> this type of thing. He will be so good for the sport as a whole. So some of the things that Ross has said that he he did tell BBC Sport that he's looking to do is that the changes that input that many of uh, let me start that again. Many of the changes that Bernie put into place were what he called short-term, short-lived attempts, knee-jerk reactions to improve the sport. He specifically calls things like the, the double points in 2014. That apparently flew all over Ross, let alone you know the rest of Formula One. Including um, most of the spectators. But what he said is that the, these have been short-term knee-jerk reactions, and that is exactly what we mustn't do. We need to stabilize the small teams and get them on a better financial footing. Which, by the way, he said this early in the week. That's important when we get to the end of this week's show. Okay. Okay. Um, we need to reduce the scope of, of the technology because there is too big a gap between the bigger and smaller teams. He's also hinted that he wants to remove DRS. Um, he says we need to make sure there are no artificial solutions. And he has made it very clear that he believes – uh, DRS is artificial. He says we need to find purer solutions. We need to think through the solutions. He says he, he has ideas, but he can't share them all with you because he wants to share them with the teams first. But he has ideas of things that he thinks that the sport should study and perhaps use in 2018 or 2019. I also heard him talk much more about looking at five to ten years out versus trying to fix everything this year. Yeah, that's something actually he's been saying for the last couple of months when he was doing his publicity tours for his book. Mm -hmm. He talked that, you know, truly Formula One needs to be thinking f on a five-year roadmap and a five-year time scale. And he said that he, he was saying this past fall that, um, you know, five years ago the sport came to him to ask him about all these things, and here we are five years later, and they still haven't incorporated any of them. Right. So, <laughs> Yeah. We'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, overall, I mean, you, you heard it straight from Chase Carey's mouth. He believes that in the last five years the sport has been stagnant, and this is why Liberty made the decision to do a leadership change and why Bernie was asked to not actively participate anymore. Or in this case, or as the British like to say, his position was made redundant. Yes, it was made redundant by putting three other people in his job. Yeah. He is now the fourth and redundant person doing his job. Now, they did give him an honorary presidency or something that the the Americans would call like an emeritus position. It, it, the, the title is Chairman Emeritus, um, which, you know, as we heard earlier, is not something Bernie particularly appreciates. But one of the things that Chase Carey has said, and we're, we're hearing rumbling of, of what Liberty wants to do, where they want to go, that they want to make changes to the sport. Um, some of the things that, that Chase Carey has said is that they have plans to grow F1 around the world. Uh, he says that F1 is a unique, iconic, global event that is a spectacle seven to, to, or excuse me, second to none. Seventh to none. Yeah. Excellent. Seventh also, but second <laughs> to none. <laughs> he says that, you know, as we said, the sport has not grown in, in recent years as much as it needed to, and Liberty could exploit new technologies to do that. Um, Liberty does say that they would protect historic races and sees Europe as the foundation of the sport. So interpret that to mean they want to keep Spa on a calendar, they want to keep Monaco on a calendar, they want to get Germany back on a calendar is my assumption. They want to make sure that the the race in France continues, well, that it actually happens for starters, yeah. and then continues, and who knows what else we're going to see. Silverstone? Um, well, he said that there will be a British, a British Grand Prix despite speculation Silverstone could be dropped in 2019. So obviously somebody is picking up the phone and saying, we're going to re rework this. We don't want you to leave. Exactly. Um, he says that it would expand, particularly with a view to new ex events in the U.S. So think about that. We're at already at, what, 21 races? Mm -hmm. And he wants to expand. 
That's going to make this season even longer. And harder and more expensive. It's going to be interesting because the other thing that I heard was something about, in his commentary, something about making 20, correct me if I'm wrong, 21 Super Bowls a year. Yeah, what what he has said is um, he wants to make a race weekend akin to a Super Bowl in terms of um, the overall experience and the promotion. It's not He doesn't want it to just be about the Sunday or just to be about the weekend. He wants it to be a week-long event. So if you think about it, when the Super Bowl comes into town and they go to any host city— there is the Super Bowl village that is set up in the downtown area. Even if the, the stadium is four miles or five miles away, in the downtown area, there is a Super Bowl celebration village of some sort that that is set up there. And throughout the entire week, there are things going on to engage the fans, to promote the event at the end of the week, and do a week-long buildup in that city for the event. I had no idea that that happened. Yes. Oh, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. It's a week-long thing? It's not just the Yeah, there, there is the setup of the—it's the Super Bowl Village, and it's something that I think originally started um, on the stadium property. And in recent years, the NFL has moved it off the stadiums and into, the, into a population center around—in the host city. And it may have potentially been uh, a couple of years ago when, and, and I could be wrong on this, but it may have potentially been uh, the, when the Super Bowl was last hosted in Indianapolis. And yeah, that's a downtown stadium, but they set up the village not right outside the stadium, but a couple of blocks away in the downtown business core of Indianapolis, and everyone raved over it. Oh, wow. And since then, there is this big week-long engagement package somewhere else in the city. So that's what he's trying to encourage. And I'm sure, I think, probably the closest model from what we have heard to this is Montreal. Because from what we know of Montreal, it is also the build-up into that week, the city fully gets behind the event. Yeah. And there are things going on in the city. Now, it's... Not to the level of the Super Bowl Village kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But that's the theory as to what he's trying to establish. I don't 100% know how that's going to work at some tracks. Because some of these tracks are 45 minutes to an hour outside of a major population area. I don't believe that Spa is close to a city. I don't think so either, but there's like, there's that um, camping park that becomes such a party central place. Maybe they can, you know, leverage some of that space too. And unlike a Super Bowl where you're contained in a stadium, the tracks are not small things. True. And and they can't be. So, I mean, I even think about it in terms of like our our indie experience at Mid-Ohio. That's a small space. And even still, you're walking for miles to kind of get all the various vantage points and views as you wander around. Yeah. So there, there's something there, but there's also he's got to you got to really think it through. So that that's what we know in general terms that they're trying to do, and it appears to be looking good for Silverstone at least. But I don't know how they're going to pull off expanding a calendar mm-hmm. and I, as much as yes the more races there are the more money the teams get but also conversely the more races there are the higher the costs are for the teams and the, the bigger the personnel challenges so i don't know how that's gonna work out it'll be interesting how they balance all of that like I said, this is an exciting time to see where this goes, what this becomes, what's Formula One 4.0 at this point. Now, if you think about it, and this is where we could seriously see Formula One take a major and dramatic turn because 
Bernie, of all of the old school racing folks who were originally part of Formula One, at this now that um, you know we we had the the situation over at McLaren and the turnover there and Ron Dennis being ousted, the only two that were left was Sir Frank Williams and Bernie, and Bernie was the one with the power. Mm-hmm. And now Bernie's gone, and that just leaves Sir Frank from the early start of Formula One left. Okay, but in that regard, I think Frank has been a lot more flexible with growth and change. He has stuck to his garageista mentality of he's not looked to get involved in the the running of the sport. He's stayed within his you know his team. And quite frankly, Frank is getting up there in age, and Claire's doing most of the run in these days. He is, but every so often you will hear that Williams has objected to a change or objected to a move because it was not in line with the founding principles of Formula One. You know, there was talk uh, actually before we started watching from there was talk of, of moving to more of a spec series. Mm-hmm. Frank was one of the big voices against that kind of a thing. Since there's rumblings of the return of a cost cap of some sort, that could lead in order to accommodate a cost cap, there could be changes in technology that would be more spec. You know, we're hearing Ross say that he wants to, to narrow that gap. In technology, so that it's not a matter of if you have a massive vault full of money that you can build a car that's more competitive, and you're a small budget team, you don't have a chance. He he likes to um, look at in uh, Premier League soccer, mm-hmm. where a team can go and build um, over the course of just a season and go from last place in. in uh, danger of relegation to a championship winner it doesn't take a massive vault of money to do it formula one is not the same way the odds of um a sauber becoming a multi-race winner over the course of one season is pretty much slim to none okay and he wants to change that but let's do point out a couple of key differences between premier league soccer and formula one Mm mm-hmm a car costs millions of pounds to build. A soccer ball is twelve ninety five. Yes, but players are not twelve ninety five. But when the instrument to win has that much disparity in price, the players are pretty equal in price. No, they're not. They're not, and, 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 and you're, you're very much mistaken here. First off, the ball is not what you use to win the sport. The, the ball is completely 100% interchangeable. That, that is not it. It is the players, and the better the players, the, the more expensive they get. But it's possible to find yourself that rookie gem or that underrepresented player who's just had a bunch of bad seasons and finally breaks out and leads your team to victory. It is much more difficult to turn around in a technical sport and come up with that magic part. And, and yes, Ross has done it. He did it when, when the, the one year that he won the championship with Jensen. But it is much more difficult to develop and build that magic part that leads you to dominate everybody else as it is when you're in a team sport to find one or two players that all of a sudden have the breakout season and lead your team fr- to an underdog win. Okay, but what you just did was highlight the reason why you can't make the comparison, in my mind. F1 is dependent on the vehicle. It is dependent on what gets somebody from point A to point B. You could put Lewis Hamilton in a Sauber, and he's not going to win races, and he's one of the best drivers on the field. You know that. But in IndyCar, that is a possibility. Right, because that's a spec series. That's the point. But one of the things that Formula One isn't is a spec series. Right, but that's my point. Is, is that that's where they're... In, in, in order for Ross to be able to pull something like that off, it potentially has to become more of a spec series. 
else. That's my point. I understand that's your point. My point is, and then what, what right, what is the difference between Formula One at that point and IndyCar? That's why we need to watch this and see where this is going. I'm sounding that warning that there is that risk that, yes, this could all of a sudden be a more global version of an IndyCar of a spec series with the only difference being overall horsepower and and the design of the aero. I am. I'm not saying it's a great idea. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's a great idea, but it's saying that that's certainly a risk. I don't like it. I don't like it enough. Is there like tire talk or something that we can move on to? Well, how about this? Okay. Not tires. NASCAR. Oh, come on. Stick with me. That's got to be worse than tires. Well, NASCAR is having – there's a reason why I'm bringing up NASCAR. NASCAR has been having its own viewership and attendance and popularity issues over the last 10 years. Viewership has gone down, and they've been looking for ways in their own special manner to spice up the show. So they rolled out what they called the chase, which was like this playoff-style type thing. I I don't know, but they, they have rolled out various ways that they are – they have – manipulated the points and how that works so that there is excitement at the end of the series as to who could possibly win the championship. Okay. They've announced additional changes for this year. What they have done, and they're doing this in all three of their national series, it's the, the Monster Energy Cup, the Xfinity Series, and the Camping World Truck Series, is that they are dividing races up into three segments Um, with 10-minute breaks in between each segment. This is your race. This is not like qualifying or anything. This is the actual race is being divided up into segments with three 10-minute breaks between each segment. The length of each segment will be based on each individual track's length and will be specified later this month. Championship points will be awarded based on the running order at the end of each segment. Okay, so I know where that came from. And this is going to shock you that I know this much about NASCAR. But one of the primary fan complaints about NASCAR is that the way they run, they run, 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 especially on the ovals. They Mm -hmm. run, 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 run. And then in the last seconds of the person that's sitting in fourth suddenly can wind up slingshotting themselves up to first and they win. But they haven't run ahead and it's 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 about like a last turn thing, and it's just really yeah. gotten pushed. It's, into it's this, to try like, and spread out the the action and the excitement from right. the last like five laps of the race. Exactly. But it's an artificial construct in order to do it. So instead of having one big race, we're going to make it three small races. Right. So which wasn't that Jensen's idea for Formula One because people's attention span was getting shorter? Yeah, and I didn't like it either. Okay. Well, I know we were vehemently opposed. We stood against that one. So move, there, there's more info here. Okay. So pit lane will be closed for five laps, and then at the end of each stage, the top ten drivers will be awarded from ten points to one point. At the end of the race, the winner will, rin, will win 40 points, and second through 35th place will be awarded on a scale of 2 to 35 points. All lower positions get one point each. The winner of each individual stage will be awarded one playoff point. The overall race winner will win five additional playoff points and a spot in the playoffs. Regular season playoffs will determine which drivers make it and then all points reset. But the regular season points leader who carries 15... Oh, but all the, all the points will reset with the exception of the regular season points leader who carries 15 points into the playoffs. I don't want a sport that I have to keep cheat sheets to figure out the system. Yeah. I mean, this doesn't have to be that hard. I'm sorry, NASCAR, but I hope this solution fails and fails miserably along the same level of failure as, oh, I don't know, last year's qualifying. Well, no, we like knockout qualifying. We don't like the qualifying that was introduced at the beginning of last year. 
Well, they called that knock- knockout qualifying. E- well, even the existing one is knockout qualifying, too. But, uh, yeah, I, I hope this dies in flames so that the rest of the autosport world takes a step back and goes, wow, that was really stupid. We don't want to do that. Here's hoping. So we'll cross our fingers on that. You know, some idiot is going to go, well, it didn't work for NASCAR, but it'll work for us. Yeah. So, Silverstone. Yeah. Couple of things. Mm-hmm. Apparently, at one point last year, and we may have even mentioned it, Jonathan Palmer's uh, motorsport management team uh, was actually looking at a bid to take over Silverstone. We talked about this because Jonathan Palmer is Jolien's dad, and he that's what he does is he takes over trucks. We talked about this a few weeks ago and speculated as to whether or not he was going to look at Silverstone because they were up for sale because he was looking at another track in England. I know we talked right, about Right, because that. he bought Brands Hatch. That's it. See? Um, however, he has now said that he is n- they are no longer considering it a Silverstone takeover. Okay. Um, also, some other... I don't know if this is hugely bad. And it is bad news, I guess, to some extent, because there's got to be some revenue for the track that would have come from this. Um, you know, the last couple of years, the one of the in-season testing... Uh, events was held at Silverstone post Silverstone weekend. They are losing that this year, and it's actually going to be held in Hungary at the Hungaro Ring. Interesting. Which means that the Hungaro Ring gets two more days of activity. And it's like what six days total all the year? Yeah, that that's it. I mean, the track isn't used the entire year, with the exception of Formula One race weekend. So at least there's a little bit more that happens over there. Part of the reason for the testing is uh, for Pirelli, okay. for their tires. And Pirelli's Paul Hembry came out, and he has said what we've kind of been saying. He said that um, Pirelli now has distinct concerns that the changes that are being introduced this year um, and that the mechanical grip that the, that the teams will be gaining from the tires will be offset by the increase in aerodynamic grip, really not making any improvement in the racing, and that they believe that racing this year will be fairly processional. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, you know something? I have to hold to that year that they claimed everything was going to be processional all year long, and then we had that amazing race at Bahrain. Um, I will hold on to that race at Bahrain between Hamilton and Rosberg for a very long time. That was an amazing race. Stefano Domenicali going into the weekend complaining that it was taxi driving and and not showing up and not showing up that weekend only to have one hell of a race. And, And last year was actually, I think we had a lot of really good races. Yes. And some of that actually wasn't at the... Hamilton Rosberg level, you know, Max really stepped up. Yeah. Do you know, and this is just one of those like little factoids of things I read, Adrian Newey has come out this week and said that he sees a lot of Nigel Mansell in Max Verstappen. You know, I saw the headline and I just moved on because a lot of times when I see those stories, it's just like, yeah, whatever. This is a writer who who has to fill column inches and has to get a certain number of stories out in a week. And what kind of eye-catching headline can we come up with for a story that says nothing? Well, yeah. But is it any more different than the other story that says nothing, which is said that Zach Brown thinks that Fernando Alonso is the best driver on the grid? Yeah. And that proves my point that just In the off-season, people will say anything. Oh, there's that. <laughs> there's that. You got – what was that series we were going to do? You got paid to write that? Yeah, you actually got paid to write that. I've set out the music for it, but we haven't really had any good stuff to mock. But this one in particular, you know, just – I hear this so often, how awesome a driver Fernando Alonso is. He's awesome. He's awesome. He's awesome. But he's not in the right car for him. Well, that's the thing is, yes, he's a very good driver, and he may possibly be one of the top one or two drivers on the grid. But his career moves and his career decisions suck. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. More than anybody else, he has misread when to bail from a team more than anybody else. When to bail, when to keep his mouth shut, 
I mean, all of those things. Boy, he's a self-sabotaging career move right there. Yeah. Speaking of career moves. Self-sabotaging? I, I We don't know yet. Um, however, Felipe Massa is looking towards the future. Yes, he is going to be with Williams next year. But uh, he, the f- organizing body for Formula E has arranged for Felipe to test drive the Jaguar Formula E car. Oh. Yes. Um, he will be test driving the Jaguar I-Type 1 with the team re- uh, putting out a statement that said that Panasonic Jaguar Racing received a request from Formula E to give Felipe Massa the chance to experience a Formula E car, and they are happy to provide this opportunity. Now, there's no word as to whether or not there would be more happening with this. Um, Felipe has expressed interest in moving over to Formula E at some point. So, and, and we know he wanted to race this year, even though he was quote-unquote, retiring from Williams originally. I don't think he really was, but we know he was looking for some sort of a race seat for next year. Yeah. Well, you know, you never know. He might just show up at the racetrack in his Williams car that he got to keep as part of his retirement that's not a retirement. You know, there was a bit of an exchange between uh, Williams and Felipe uh, regarding that car. Really? Because apparently the car is currently on, di- well, as of this week, that car is on display in the reception area at Williams because they rotate through the various cars there. And uh, Williams tweeted over to Felipe that uh, not to worry, his car was being taken well care of. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Is somebody rubbing it down with a diaper and making sure that it's, it's uh, clean and shiny constantly? Probably. Um, so one of the changes that we do know is coming, and I, I'm, in all honesty, I'm going to reserve some judgment on this, uh, but there are some rule changes that have been approved coming forward okay. for 2017. Um, the biggest one is going to be regarding uh, assessing penalties to drivers in the event of a collision. Okay. Okay. So there is a revised Article 38.2 of the rules that states it shall be at the discretion of the stewards to decide if any driver involved in an incident should be penalized. Unless it is clear to the stewards that a driver was wholly or predominantly to blame for an incident, no penalty will be imposed. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, the stewards get to make the call to investigate, and then they have to decide that a driver is 100% at fault in order to assess a penalty. Oh, that's never going to get us penalties because there's always that question. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't – on the one hand, yes, it, it gives drivers the freedom to push a little. But on the other, yeah, I'm not sure that this is a great answer either. That's interesting. So some of the other things that have happened is they have confirmed that there will be apparently now standing starts after safety car periods, which I think is dumb. I do too. Um, it's it, one thing for, for rain-type situations, but if we have an actual safety car out there, just go back to the race. Don't turn around and do an, an artificial standing start. Uh, they've also announced some new timing for the pit lane opening before a race. Uh, This is to make sure that drivers are present at the National Anthem Ceremony, which I didn't think they were having issues with this. I mean, it certainly looked to us from what we saw that the drivers were, all the drivers were there at the start of the ceremony. But the pit lane will now open 30 minutes before a race start and close 10 minutes later. Drivers must be present at the National Anthem Ceremony, which takes place 14 minutes before the start of the race. Okay. So just that's the, the, the new changes that we know of so far. So Esteban Ocon. Really? We got Ocon-ness? We, we, well, we have some talk about Esteban Ocon, and it kind of makes me wonder why uh, Force India and Bob Fernley would go and make this statement. But apparently Force India and Bob Fernley have come out, and they have said that um, they are not 
willing to allow Esteban Ocon to serve as a reserve driver for Mercedes. Their feeling is that Esteban is under a two-year drive for Force India, and he will drive for Force India. They will not allow him to give up his seat to fill in for a Mercedes driver. Was this an issue? Was this a thing? I or don't, was this a I way would to think get it, column inches? I, I would think it would be more likely that they were going to go to Pascal Verline. But knowing that Esteban is also a Mercedes junior driver, which is part of the reason why he ended up with the seat that he's got, maybe there was some level of concern over that. But still, I thought that Mercedes' golden child was still Pascal with Renault trying to get its hooks or possibly having its hooks already in Esteban. I have no idea because that's just weird. It, it, it was interesting. Longtime Renault fuel and lubricants provider Total mm-hmm. has apparently pulled out of Formula One. That's interesting. They're a French company, right? They are. Um, but apparently they ha- – and they were sponsoring a couple of races too. They were title sponsors for races. Mm-hmm. Apparently they have reevaluated and elected to uh, withdraw support for – teams and for the sport it appears um as a result renault has announced a deal with bp and castrol for fuel and lubricants okay well that's good for bp and castro and i'm sure good for renault um i wonder if some conspiracy theorist could make a charge that total left because bernie got ousted can we can we tie it to bernie somehow i don't think so because also as you recall their other uh, Total's other big partner was Red Bull, and we knew at the beginning of the season that Red Bull had, or, or at the begin, at the end of the season rather, that Red Bull had dropped uh, Total for Exxon Mobil. Which, speaking of of that partnership, uh, Red Bull was actually down in Houston at Exxon Mobil's headquarters this week. They set up their pit lane garage. At Exxon Mobil's headquarters, and the very—I don't know if Max was down there, but Daniel was. Oh wow! And they held a big event for Exxon Mobil employees down there with the cars and and the garage and everything. Wow! Yeah, Red Bull at least made a very big deal about it. But uh, the car will be carrying Esso branding. Because that's the that international. The that's what the, what Exxon Mobil goes with. Eric Bouillet has said that they they have learned a lot in the last few years. Um, and as a result, he says that the team is now more agile with development. Oh, they're using the agile model now. The, you know, that's what I read. Now, my, my question was, which version of the agile model did they use? The, sprints. Definitely sprints. Well, I was wondering if they were doing that or if they were following, um, and, and we heard about this last year, uh, the BBC's IT department's agile method, which was, we're just making this crap up as we go along. Well, that's what most agile methods <laughs> seem to be. <laughs> There's no project plan. We're just kind of, and, and, and we're just claiming it's agile because we're making this crap up as we go along. I assure you that that's most of the agile project plans that I've had to deal with (laughs) are all could be summarized by the seat of our pants. (laughs) So, yeah, Eric Bouillet says that they are now much more agile in their development. I will be very happy when the new buzzword is no longer agile. Last weekend, we, we spoke about the race of champions and Pascal Verline Mm -hmm. and his, his, his incident that forced him to pull out. Well, his teammate representing Germany was none other than Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian continued to compete, which means that Sebastian Vettel took on the world at the race of champions. Oh, and by the way, he won. Oh, my. (laughs) Sebastian Vettel, the Chuck Norris of Formula One. (laughs) Sebastian against the world. Sebastian doesn't race other drivers. Other drivers race him. Yes. <laughs> I'm willing to bet that Sebastian doesn't blend either. This is, in, in, in all seriousness, 
Sebastian's been in the participate in the race of champions for quite a few years. Traditionally, his teammate, however, was his very close friend and his idol, Michael Schumacher. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that pairing actually won five separate times at race of champions. The, and this is actually, and this is the, 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 I guess a bit of a touching part is this is the first time that Sebastian has won at race of champions without being teamed up with Michael. Oh, wow. Yeah. So then of course we could definitely say that Sebastian and Michael's pairing won solely because Sebastian was on the team because since Sebastian by himself <laughs> can take on the entire world. Well, it, it has been several years, so maybe he has improved to that point. I don't know. I still like that he's the Chuck Norris. <laughs> Formula <laughs> 1. So our last bit of news. We were holding out hope. We were crossing our fingers. And unfortunately, it is all for naught. Uh, Manor has announced that they have shut down. They have closed their doors and uh, ceasing to exist as a business operation. I guess our sponsorship deal just never went through for them. Our sponsorship deal didn't go through. The investor that, again, looked like that they were coming forward apparently uh, did not have a solid enough deal. And, uh, yeah, Manor has shut down. They have, at the end of the month, which, you know, at this point is two more days, uh, releasing the remaining employees, although everybody did get paid through the end of the month. So there's no pay, uh, no paychecks in arrears or anything like that. Uh, but, yeah, they have let everybody go. Now, as a result of this, Manor was also the first team to reveal a 27 car or 2017 car. I saw that article and I kept reading like the headline and going, but they closed their doors. Why are they releasing their 2017 car? Well, this was, you know, a, a final nod to their aerodynamics team who has been working on the design of this car for quite a while. There actually exists of Manor's 2017 car, the 50% scale wind tunnel model. Mm-hmm. And... It is the design of the car, just at at 50% scale. That's been completed. That was ready to go for testing. It was ready for the various uses that those models are put together for. So Manor decided that, yes, since they are no longer a going concern and to celebrate all of the work and all of the effort that the the aerodynamics team has put into designing this year's car, they released a picture of the team with their 2017 wind tunnel scale model car. And that is, in reality, our first view of a 2017 design. And a 2017 design that we'll never see any larger. Yeah, unfortunately. I'm actually really sad about this. I have to say, I mean, Manor had no hope under the the existing Formula One regulations. They were never going to be off the back row. And much like when HRT and Caterham left the sport, it really hurts my heart a little bit because when you think back and you look at the true bare roots of Formula One, it's about the, the whole sport is about teams getting together and gathering to test cars coming out of garages and and pushing to the limits and they push to their limits mm-hmm. and money and all of the politics involved it's always sad when you see the the little engine that could not make it up the hill yeah and the the sport needs to remember that they need these teams it's not all about the fastest teams you've got to have these junior teams you've got to have somebody to develop these drivers to bring in this new talent coming from the gp2 side this new and not just driver talent but even the engineering talent Mm -hmm. there's got to be some way for you to learn all of the crafts involved in being successful in formula one and when you lose these smaller teams you lose those incubators you lose the incubators, you lose some of the innovation, and you lose some of the story. Yeah. There's there's heart and story behind some of these small teams. And some of the small teams that have grown into bigger teams. 
that's where you get the Eddie Jordans and the mm-hmm. Ross Brawns and where you find those people are not sitting. They don't spawn from the earth into a Mercedes. They don't spawn from the earth into Red Bull or Ferrari. They came from something. And that's where the story lies. And when all is said and done, Formula One's best piece and offering to the sporting world is fast cars, cutting edge technology, and an incredible story. You ultimately put 24 people on a track that have spent their lives getting here. Well, to, to put it in perspective, Daniel Ricardo, mm-hmm. you know, somebody that, that many have tapped as a potential future world champion who is driving in a top-tier team, started his Formula One career with HRT. Not Toro Rosso, with HRT. That's what these smaller teams bring to the sport, is these are the teams that are going to be the most interested in bringing on these junior drivers. That's why Esteban Ocon started there. That's why Pascal Verlaine started there. We, you need these incubators. And, and they're willing to take the risk. That's risk. Well, it's not so much that they're willing to take it. They have to take it. Right. But you you look at your top team okay mercedes less risk they're more risk averse they're going to take the best talent because it's proven talent if you had to only deal with top teams that can only look at proven talent you'll never evolve the sport you don't get a daniel ricardo well, driving for but, Red but also at some point for and, and not even so much those teams but if you're a ferrari where do you get that talent ferrari does not like to put young drivers, inexperienced drivers in their cars, period. Yes, they have a young driver development program, but those drivers have to get the training. They have to get the experience from somewhere. And if you don't have a team that you can funnel these young drivers into to get that seat time, where are they going to come from? I know. What's the point of your driver development team if they're going to stay with you for – you know, five, six, seven, eight years to to move up through the junior formulas, but come Formula One, they don't have a chance of getting in the seat with Ferrari. So Ferrari's always going to be looking to poach experienced drivers from somebody else. Why bother developing them in the first place? Exactly. There's a spot. There's a need. There's a requirement for this te- these teams, and to see them go by the wayside because of money problems, f- truly. For no better reason than bum deals that we can lay at the foot mm-hmm. of our new, newly ousted emeritus chairman, Bernie Eccleston. So, yeah, it's, my hope is those are the changes that we see happen. The ones that allow not so much a leveling out in terms of the specifications, but allow these smaller teams to survive and allow them to actually be competitive on the grid. And much like these smaller teams, we have a heart for them because we're a small podcast and we support the small growing into the large. So on, on that note, I encourage you to share our podcast with all of your friends. Yeah. You know, if you're listening and You like us on Facebook. Well, if you don't like us on Facebook, like us on Facebook. And if you already like us on Facebook, why aren't you sharing our posts? Why aren't you sharing our shows and getting the word out about us? Yes. Don't let us become the manner of the Formula One podcast (laughs) world. (laughs) But uh, speaking of Facebook, you know, what are your suggestions for realistic? What Liberty could do to build and grow the sport over the coming years and start to turn things around and reverse the at least perceived decline. I mean, this isn't a dying sport. There's no doubt that there's a metric ton of money in the sport and a metric ton of money coming into the sport. But what could they do to resume the growth of the sport? Let us know. And on that, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 
Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.